You're listening to a CNA podcast. Welcome back to Money Talks. We have a fresh slate of personal finance topics that will help you save and invest your money properly. I'm your host, Andrea Hang. And before we introduce our guest, I want to talk about some money-related news that may affect you. So I've roped in my editor, Tiffany Ang, to come chat with me. It's a new segment we call I on the Money. Hello, everybody. Yeah, so... Let's get straight to the headlines, uh, obviously being the first week of January. Yeah, Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Happy New Year, everyone! Forgot. Well, it's not just the New Year, actually. We've got a new GST we rate have, as well. We have, that's right. So, in the New Year comes a New Year present. 9% GST. That's correct. So, 9% GST, if you don't already know, that's our goods and services tax. It increased from 8% to 9%. It's been in every single conversation that I've had since the start of this year. And it's only been a week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm curious. Mm. Did you make any big purchases before the clock struck 12 You know what? I actually did. Oh, what did um, you buy? I bought a TV. Not bad. Yeah, so we were like, okay, you know, the GST actually was the impetus for us to buy a TV. So here's the story. We don't have a TV. We've lived in this house for a year, not had a TV. So we decided, oh, you know what? If we want to buy a TV and we've been mulling it for some time, we better do it before Mm. the extra 1% GST kicks in. Mm. So that's what I did. Did you buy anything big ticket before the GST kicked in? No, I didn't actually because I have everything that I need at the Uh, moment. So that's GST. Big, big headline. We also got some nicer news. Uh, It is to help cushion the increase in GST and the rising cost of living. Everything's going up. So did our CDC vouchers. 500 up from 300. I think that's really generous. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to spend it. But you know what? I had this conversation with my co-host on the morning show at Mm. CNA 938, Joel Chua. And you know what? We're going to donate ours. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, because... Here's the thing, I forgot to spend the rest of mine. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. What happened happened to last year's trench for you? So I spent, strangely, people find it easier to spend the supermarket ones and the hawker ones. Mm. And that's what you did. Yes, I I like the supermarket ones. It was hard for me to finish spending the hawker centre ones. Right. So strangely, the opposite happened with me. I was was able to finish the hawker ones first. Okay. I spent maybe about half of the supermarket ones and then I left the remaining seven or whatever else that was left behind. Ah. And I didn't realise that I forgot, completely yeah. forgot there was that, an expiry date yes. until I saw on Instagram three of my friends, they said they spent New Year's Eve at the supermarket. Well, the good news this year is that mm-hmm. you can spend at more participating merchants. Yes, I think the list is something like 23,000 merchants now. Yeah, yeah, so you can go to, you know, pretty much your Heartland shops, mm-hmm. have a check, see yeah. if they have that CDC voucher, you know, post There was a CNA article that said a lot of our uncles and aunties, they were, you know, buying new phones, new phone cases just before um, 31st of December. So I think a lot of aunties will go get their perms, you know, their hair perms (laughs) right before Chinese New Year. So, you know, you don't actually only have to spend it on food. You can support any of these heartland shops, any of these participating merchants. Yeah. Well, it's not just about Singapore. We want to talk about some international movements as well, right? That's right, we should. So, you know, okay, which company beat Tesla as the top maker of electric vehicles. It is BYD. Mm-hmm. Um, the Chinese brand. I kind of saw this coming because... You, you did? Yeah, because BYD, China's been really ramping up mm-hmm. their electric vehicle industry. Yeah, true. Um, a lot of national efforts 
poured into this industry. At the same time, Tesla has its own problems. Just some stats, right? So mm. BYD took over the crown with almost 40,000 more cars mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter of last year. Yeah. In total, it sold more than 3 million passenger vehicles last year. Ooh. I mean, this is full EV and hybrid EV combined. Yeah. So that's interesting. Whether it's time as an investor to yeah. take a look at BYD in your stock portfolio, if you're looking into the EV space to diversify your portfolio, yeah. there could be potential for it but of course always do your homework yes you can always ask your financial advisor what he or she thinks and off you go now before we get started i want to check in on you i want to know how has money talks helped you in 2023 we would really love to know so drop us a note in the comments i cannot wait to see what you tell us well personally for me it's been a very educational year as host of Money Talks. I've learned so much from our guests from spending hacks on credit cards and groceries to investing in unusual portfolios to learning tips from the pros on how to optimize my CPF. Biggest lesson for me, how to get out of an ILP if I really wanted to get out of one. <laughs> Another thing I learned was how to take advantage of higher interest rates that we saw in 20 Yeah, sure, it made things expensive, but I found out that there were, in fact, ways that this could be useful to me. But the verdict is out from the US Federal Reserve, that's the American Central Bank, in case you didn't know. They're very likely to stop hiking interest rates, and 2024 is the year we'll finally start seeing rate cuts. Okay, so in the first place, what do interest rates have to do with inflation? Does it mean we'll see an easing of prices? Let's get some help making sense of all of this. And that person is Eddie Lowe, Chief Investment Officer at Maybank Singapore. He's in the studio with me on the Money Talks podcast. Welcome, Eddie. Hi, Andrea. (laughs) So first of all, give us a 101 on interest rates, okay? What happens when they move? Why are so many things affected by them? I think if you look at interest rates, uh, it affects us at uh, different levels. Mm-hmm. On the individual personal basis, right, uh, obviously depositors are happy when interest rates are higher uh-huh. because you get actually more for your deposits, yeah. your, your time deposits, correct? Mm-hmm. Not so happy for those who are actually having mortgage loans. Oh, yes. Right, because you need to pay more mm-hmm. interest. Then on the market side, obviously, it also has implications. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that good for bonds, okay. which tend to underperform form in the era of rising interest rates. Right. As for equities, it depends. Okay. Really, certain interest uh, rate-sensitive sectors or markets will be affected, mm-hmm. others less so. Right. What, what are some examples of those sectors? I think in Singapore, what is very common is actually Singapore REITs. Oh, yes. We have actually seen how Singapore REITs have actually been negatively impacted mm. when interest rates were rising right. or and which, are rising. And which sectors benefited from the higher interest rates? I think in the normal economy uh-huh. where there's still growth, actually the banking sector oh, of course. tends to benefit from a rising <laughs> interest rate environment because you sort of like get the expansion yeah. in interest margins mm-hmm. while your loan growth, you know, is still somewhat healthy because mm-hmm. economy is still chugging along. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's an interesting observation, right? The economy went on even though things got more expensive. It was almost as if the high interest rates didn't scare. It depends on where you're looking at. Obviously, what really triggered this spike in interest rates mm. over the 12 to 18 months was really the very high inflation that we've witnessed, not just in Singapore, but in other parts of the world, mm. US, Europe, mm. right? And the US Fed had to combat inflation yeah. by really hiking interest rates very rapidly. And that actually negatively affected not so much on the economy, mm -hmm. but actually the markets, right. both equities mm. and bonds, because the pace of rate hikes was very fast. Yeah, it was quite aggressive. Very, very aggressive. Mm. And, and, and that is something that investors do not like. Right. Okay. So high consumption, not necessarily a good thing for investors. Well, it depends on what drove uh, the inflation in the first place. Right. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think we came out from a very unprecedented time where we had COVID, right? So when economy started to reopen, mm. obviously there's this pent-up demand. Oh, the revenge everything. Yes, but <laughs> at the same time, supply wasn't keeping up. Right. So, so that, Things took time to come back online. Exactly. So that actually drove higher inflation. Right, right. But we, we did see inflation coming down this year. Mm -hmm. Combination of uh, higher interest rates as well as normalizing supply chain. How is it that interest rates have anything to do with inflation. How is it that the mm -hmm. US decided, okay, in order to curb inflation, to dampen inflation, mm -hmm. I'm going to aggressively hike interest rates. What's that link there? Right, right. So I think inflation can be supply-driven or demand-driven. Mm -hmm. So the inflation that we've witnessed over the past, I don't know, 12 to 18 months is probably a combination, a bit of both. Mm. So the interest rate part is actually to tackle the demand. Right. So when you have higher interest rates, cost of money becomes higher. Sure. So theoretically, it's going to dampen demand. Mm. You know, where people think twice about spending a little bit more. Yeah. Sometimes there's a lag effect. Right. It is not like immediate. The rate hikes do not have an immediate impact on demand economy. Okay. That's why it took time actually for inflation to come off. Right. Okay. I understand now. So let's fast forward to what's happening now. The latest news is that the Fed, they signaled three cuts in 2024. So tell me, this is overall good news, right? What happens now? Well, if you look at the market reaction to the very dovish uh, Fed statements mm. recently, mm -hmm. definitely good news for investors. Yeah. We are anticipating, like the Fed, there will be three rate cuts mm -hmm. starting sometime in second half. Okay. But some of the market participants are even more aggressive. Right. Pricing in a rate cut in the first half and maybe 100 basis point or even more. Mm. That means four or five rate cuts. So in our view, that's maybe a little bit too aggressive uh -huh. because while, yes, indeed we saw uh, inflation moderating, mm -hmm. it is still actually a bit higher, a tad higher. Things are still expensive, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, and it's like 3%, you know, Fed is targeting 2%. Mm. So it's still not exactly back to normal yet. Mm. So I think the timing of rate cuts is really uncertain. Okay. And the Fed will really be very data dependent. So it's a bit premature to say, okay, now I'm seeing inflation moderating at 3.1%, and therefore the Fed's going to cut rates in first quarter. On. <laughs> so that's just, a bit too early. It's excitement, right? I'm putting it down to just... Well, markets can overreact yeah. time to time, but I, I think I also wanted to point out there are actually also factors to consider right. that could 
keep inflation maybe a little bit higher for longer. Ah. I think on a fundamental basis, if you look at the US again, because I think that's yeah. a key economy mm-hmm. that's driving global markets. Yeah. US unemployment is still very low right. compared to historical levels. Means more people have jobs. More people have jobs mm. and wages are still going higher. Uh-huh. Right? So that's going to lend some upward pressure mm-hmm. on inflation. Yeah, Because when people have jobs, they have the means to spend. Exactly. Mm. At the same time, if you've noticed on the geopolitical side, mm. some of the trade, like for example the Red Sea, yes. some of the geopolitical tensions is causing rerouting of trade routes mm-hmm. that could actually lead to higher shipping costs Mm -hmm. and therefore indirectly inflation. It's Mm -hmm. going to lead to higher costs and then therefore higher inflation. Right. So that's more on the supply side Mm -hmm. and and therefore these combination of factors could add to the uncertainty about the inflation trajectory. Right. Why do the rate cuts need to be done in such a measured way? Because at the risk of sounding naive, couldn't they just slash it one time and say, okay, one time go, 25 basis points, 100 basis points and then bring it down at least to a level that the Fed's thing everyone is agreeable to. Right. Good question. So I, I think to answer that question, I think two points here to make. I think one is the Fed has been accused of hiking rates too late. So they do not want to be accused of repeating the mistake again by cutting rates ah. too early. Therefore, they are very cautious in making any rate cuts. And I think they will maintain that very cautious stance. Mm. And also, if you take a step back, for those who, who are a bit older, yeah. if you look at the 70s, right? there was also a similar episode where inflation was very high mm-hmm. and then the Fed had to hike interest rates yes. to tame inflation. Mm-hmm. But then they actually, once they saw inflation coming off, they actually cut interest rates and that led to a resurgence in the ah. inflation. So it was a pendulum swing. Reaction. Yes, exactly. So so I, I think the Fed now, if you look at Fed Chair Powell, I don't think he wants to go in debt. So you mentioned in an environment of higher interest rate, it benefits one group and it doesn't benefit another group. When it comes to falling interest rates, which if all goes well and Jay Powell says, okay, we can start cutting rates now and we do see those falling interest rates, who would it benefit? Well, obviously, those servicing their loans, their mortgage, mortgages, I think they will be happier. <laughs> because, yeah. yeah, at least you don't have to pay as much interest, mm. right? From an investor standpoint, I think it will benefit both equity and bond investors. Because mm-hmm. if you look at bonds, there is this negative correlation between bond prices and interest rates. Right. When interest rate goes higher, bond prices go lower yes, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be a very conducive environment for fixed income. Okay. Um, but at the same time for equities, as long as growth stays up, interest rate coming off will also benefit uh, equity investors at the same time. Mm. In particular, more interest rate sensitive sectors, for example, the Singapore REITs that yeah. we mentioned earlier uh-huh, on, uh-huh. some of the growth sectors which the valuation can also be sensitive to interest rates, usually higher interest rates negatively impact uh, the valuation of these growth stocks. Mm. So if interest rate were to come off, right. then it would be deemed as positive for okay. these growth stocks. Okay, that's excellent stuff. I'm glad you brought that up because this is the part of the conversation where I wanted to tackle how interest rate movements affect our portfolios. So... 
What role did high interest rates play for our investments? I remember investors were flocking to things like your 10-year treasuries, your Singapore government bonds, high-yield instruments. Was this why everyone was flocking to these high-yield products? And then when the interest rates start to fall, what do I do? now that I'm in these portfolio instruments? Right. I think definitely we saw a very strong flow. Mm. Cash deposits, fixed deposits, because of the very high interest rate environment. Yes. And investors are flowing to these instruments because also partly because of the macro uncertainty. Ah. So they are not so sure, right? right? So the best way is to stay short term, go to cash, go to deposits, go to money market funds, Mm. where the level of risk is low. Right. But if we get a falling interest rate, Mm -hmm. what happens is these short-term deposits, when they mature, you may not be able to get back into them at the same level of rate. So there is actually increasing uh, reinvestment risk. Right. It's always good to have some cash buffer. Sure, of course. Downside protection for a portfolio. Classic advice. But but I think given the fact that we we you know our base case is really for a soft landing, for inflation mm. to moderate, for mm-hmm. Fed to start cutting rates, mm-hmm. I think it's time to really redeploy some of this cash into bonds and equities. Right. But obviously I think on the bond side, we still want to stay with quality. Right, you so you want to have more exposure into investment grade bonds, mm. where the default risk tends to be a bit lower, safe versus high yield credit. So, right. just don't just go blindly chasing after <laughs> high yield interest rate, yeah, so yeah, or high yield high yield bonds because right, uh, right. sometimes uh, there's this risk reward trade off. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Also, it, it's it's worth clarifying. So you're saying not necessarily stop looking at your higher yield products but it's time to start thinking about moving into other refinancing taking the extra cash and pumping it into other safer bets like your bonds or rather actually not necessarily uh, safer bets because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, we are actually advocating or suggesting clients to move out of the so-called very low risk uh-huh. cash deposits right, right. which are high yielding at this moment right. but may not be as high yielding 12 months down the road that's the thing so I'm glad you said that my question was going to be when do we start pivoting? I think we could start actually looking at it right now because investors will be looking ahead. Mm. So for while you say you may decide to stay in cash for now, 12 months down the road, the other investments like bonds and equities may become more expensive. Ah. The prices may have actually... So (laughs) buying in low when bonds are not looking great now would be a good move. Right. In the sense that bond prices, we we think that there are still pockets of value uh, within the bonds and as well as equity space. Mm. Um, So bonds, I mentioned investment grade bonds. I think that is still the place to be in. Okay. And, you know, they are actually pretty defensive as well, especially if you stick with the higher quality names, Mm. right? Okay. Um, the default risk is, you know, relatively low. Okay. Obviously, not not as safe as cash. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's worthwhile taking that additional bit of risk. You know how there's that adage, right? Time in the market and not timing the market. This sounds a little bit like the opposite, just a little bit. This is where timing does matter. 
a little bit because if you stay too long with your low risk products you might actually lose out on on stuff that might be attractive later on or more expensive later on down the road right frankly i would actually turn it around to say that timing the market is always very difficult mm-hmm. right so although we try to be tactical about things to move things shift things Correct, around yeah. but we, we we think that it's actually important to maintain a core portfolio mm. a mixture of cash bonds and equities because while we try our best very best to predict where the economies are going, where the markets are going. Nobody can really... Nobody has... 100% Nobody certainty. has the real... Not even Jay Powell. <laughs> <laughs> but just, just maybe a case in point. Case in point is, if you look at the beginning of 2023, mm-hmm. consensus are actually all predicting a US recession. Yeah. Right? Exactly. A very bearish outlook. And 12 months down the road, we did not get the US recession and equity markets did very well. Yeah. Bond markets not too badly yeah. as well. I mean, they seem to have weathered everything that was thrown their way. I mean, I remember talking about the big R word as if, you know, oh, we need to be scared of this now. Mm. Today, you mm. can mention the R word and no one really bets an eyelid. Not so much. Which actually raises another concern mm. as well because I think the economy is not exactly without risk. We still have to bear in mind that, as we mentioned, inflation may not come down one straight line. We are actually anticipating global growth, including that of US, to soften in 2024. Mm-hmm. And then coupled with the fact that apart from geopolitics, we also have major elections oh, coming on yes. in 2024. Changing of the guard in so many places. It, no, in Asia as well. In you Asia especially. Taiwan, yeah. you have India, Indonesia, Indonesia mm. right? So, you know, these political elections sometimes can create market uncertainty. Oh, yeah. So we need to be conscious of the fact that volatility could still spike from time to time. Mm-hmm. So the best approach, again, for <laughs> us is really to spread your bets. Yes. Avoid over-concentration yeah. in any pockets. Then you probably will have a smoother ride. Yeah, <laughs> as smooth as can be. <laughs> as smooth as can be. Okay, so the one part that I think really affects us all one way or another, in a very uncertain environment, especially to do with the interest rates. Mm. We're not sure, you know, what kind of journey is going to be like. Our debts. So what would you advise in terms of managing things like our mortgage loans, our car loans, all our owings that are pegged to interest rates? Would you advise refinancing? And there's also that question about, you know, whether to go with fixed or floating rates, right? Well, maybe before we go to whether to refinance, maybe mm. I could share some of our projections in terms of interest rates. Mm, sure. Right? We are expecting the US Fed yeah. to cut rate three times in mm-hmm. 2024, mm-hmm. starting some somewhere in second half. Sure. So Singapore benchmark rates, interest rates are likely to follow in the same direction. Magnitude mm. could differ slightly. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, for example, one of the key benchmark rates that we track is the three-month SORA. Yes. Where I think a lot of mortgage rates, loans are packed to this new benchmark rate right. as well. We are actually projecting SORA, three-month SORA to decline from 3.8% uh-huh. to 3.25%. Okay. Right. Okay. So, what this means, if you say refinance now and lock in for, say, three years, mm-hmm rate, depending on what the rate is, you may potentially lose out on the lower rates that's going to be coming in in 12 months. Okay. Right. So so that's the trajectory. So theoretically, 
I know friends around me that I talk to, they are also thinking about whether to refinance. <laughs> Some of them will refinance and keep it to a very shorter tenure, so they have the flexibility precisely to refinance at a lower rate should you know this lower interest rate thinking expectation mm. do materialize. Yeah, correct. Right. So so I think that's one school of thought. Okay. Right. But overall, I would say that in terms of debt management, it's still the same. But the fundamental basis is also you need to, apart from just refinancing fixed rate and stuff, but you still need to watch your own debt levels. Sure, of course. And manage it according to your income. Because you, What's the, comfortable for you, What right? is comfortable for mm. you, the last thing you want is actually to have too high debt levels yeah. that you will struggle to, to keep up with in terms of interest payments and low pay, mm. loan repayments. So that question then about fixed versus floating mm. rates, right? Moving forward, what should we do, especially when there's that uncertainty there? If you do have the expectation mm-hmm. that rates are coming down, mm-hmm. right? I would say that you would probably want to stick with shorter or floating interest rates so you float down together. Right. So just give yourself rates. flexibility and, and the comfort to move around a little Correct. Bit. The shorter tenor will give you the flexibility mm-hmm. and then the floating will give you the benefit of enjoying that lower rates should it materialize. Mm. Eddie, it's been a real pleasure to have you on Money Talks. You've given us so much to think about and more importantly, you've clarified quite a number of uh, snags for us when it comes to interest rates. So thank you very much for clearing the fog around interest rates and giving us an idea of what to do this year. My pleasure. And of course, a big thank you to you, listener. Do us a favour, hey, after this. Let us know what you think about this episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify. And guess what? We're also on YouTube as well. The team behind Money Talks is Joanne Chan, Tiffany Ang, Crispina Robert, Saya Wint, and I'm Andrea Heng. Listener.